Welcome to this week's episode of the Anonymous Third Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Chura. Guys and girls, I am so pumped for next weekend, August 21st, 2021. I've been talking about this for weeks, but our event go is finally here, which is why I'm psyched to talk today with Olympic gold medalist Jordan Burroughs, who will actually be at Go this week. Crazy to think. That's this week, this Saturday. We still have a limited amount of tickets available, so if you're in the Chicago area, go to notalmostthere.com forward slash go and get your ticket today. So Jordan Burroughs recently joined me from his new home in Philly, and man, this guy is a beast in all things in his life. He was fresh off a plane from a wrestling camp he hosted in Florida last week while he was also commentating on the Tokyo Olympics. He and his family are literally getting their house set up as we had our conversation. So you'll hear some background noise because bunk beds were being installed for his three children and Jordan and his wife are expecting a fourth child this fall. But there's no pause or quit or slow down in Jordan's vocabulary. He has a laser focus on his goals and that is what's most important to him. So during today's episode, we dig into Jordan's background and his rise in the wrestling world. You'll find his work ethic goes hand in hand with Anonymous, their family, and I know you'll be blown away by his tenacity and outlook and constantly striving to be the best he can be. We talked about his wins and losses and lessons he learned in both, and honestly, I could have talked with Jordan for another hour, which is why, again, I'm so excited to we get to continue our conversation this week. So now, get your shoes on, go outside, let's be climbers, you'll get what that means soon, with Jordan Burroughs. Welcome, Jordan, to the Anonymous There podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to talk to you about a ton of stuff today, your work ethic, your mindset, how important legacy is to you. But first, I know you've been such a positive influence on social media with incredible nuggets of wisdom. And this one post really hit me hard. And I was wondering if you recalled it. It is about campers and climbers. I do. Yeah, so... I was reading a book by, there's a, a psychological guru for, particularly for uh, professional athletes, a guy named Tim Grover. He wrote a book called Relentless, and he wrote another book called Winning, um, just recently that I'm in the middle of. But anyway, he talks about the two types of people in life, the campers and climbers. So campers are people who climb up the mountain, they find a comfortable place, right? You get to a setting, you get the job promotion that you've always dreamed of, and then you kind of get complacent. You sit there, you're like, I'm comfortable, I've got a good salary, my family's healthy, I'm good. I can rest here and have a solid life. And then there's climbers, right? There's people who reach this job promotion. They've reached this particular, you know, platform and whatever it is that they choose to pursue. And then they want to continue to elevate themselves, right? There's never like a place of settling. So, you know, you stop for a moment, you enjoy the view, you reflect, you're thankful for arriving at this moment of success, but then you just continue to go. So what that looks like, no one really knows. And particularly in our sport, um, in wrestling, like the pinnacle is the Olympic gold medal, and then underneath of that are world championships, and then a tier under that are NCAA championships, and then state championships, all the things that you will win at the youth level. And so at every level you arrive, you start to dream a little bit bigger. Well, damn, I was a state champ. Maybe I could go on and wrestle in college and get a scholarship. Well, I'm in college now on a scholarship. Maybe I could be an NCAA champ. I'm the best in the country. Maybe now I could be in the best in the world. Then I'm the best in the world. Maybe I could do this two, three, four, five times. And so I think the more 
you start to see, you can never unsee or undo what you've done. Every accomplishment I've had, it makes me change my view of myself, who I believe I am, my perspective on the world, how people view me, um, the way I interact and navigate my life has changed, directly influenced by the success that I've had. I was never like an uber confident individual growing up. I was the youngest of four. I was a run of the family, really small. But when I started winning, people started to celebrate my success and it started to give me confidence and I started to realize like I could be pretty darn good at this and I started to work harder and the hard work actually worked and I all my goals started to come to fruition so I was like damn like let's see how far I can go and so that's the kind of the climbing mentality for me it's just let's see what we can do how far we can go like at this point I pretty much won everything I've ever competed in it'd be in my 30s I've got four kids at home like people were like listen be done, bro. Go, just go settle down, spend time with your kids. I'm like, no, I can't. Like, I love to compete. This is why I'm still here. I love to compete. I love the thrill. I love the buzz in the arena. I love all eyes on my match whenever I'm out there competing. I love the pressure, the anticipation, the expectation. It all gets me fired up. I may never find anything else in life that I love as much as I love competition particularly in the sport of wrestling so i'm gonna stay in as long as i can that's great and but i i also know it wasn't always like that for you so there is a a defining moment i believe when you're in high school and up until that point you were treating wrestling a little bit differently what what happened in high school and maybe it was even at a different point but what happened in, around that time frame that really got your mindset shifted and changed into uh wanting to compete and be the best in wrestling yeah well honestly there were a few things number one was my best friend my next door neighbor was a very highly recruited uh young athlete he was successful he was nationally ranked he was um, a two-time state champion and he was my guy so he was kind of like my big brother he was a year older than i was i followed him everywhere he went so i tried to replicate mimic everything he did and so when he started getting scholarship offers, I was like, well, hey, maybe I could go to college too. I never really envisioned being a collegiate athlete because no one from my area was doing that. No one went to Division One universities and got full scholarships and were highly recruited and had good grades, got good SAT scores, could pass the clearinghouse. Like none of that stuff really existed for me when I was a young man. So when my buddy did it, he kind of gave me permission to do it. Where I was like, I'm seeing a living embodiment of this literally right next door i get to hang out with this guy all the time and i see everything that he's putting into the sport so this is how i'm going to be great at this um so he kind of influenced me and then my high school coach was a big influence to me it was a guy named rick Koss. he was uh, a really special coach because he didn't really have great technique he wasn't like a high level competitor himself but he just was very principally based so like he would teach hard work discipline consistency character integrity so like little things he would do he would make us wear suits when we would go to away trips he would if we listen to music in the wrestling room he wouldn't allow for there to be any profanity on the music playlist that we had he would make us like sign autographs for like the youth wrestlers at tournaments and he just taught us about hard work and and character and so that was really cool for me he sat me down one day and was like listen i just saw your transcripts what do you want to do moving forward? I was like, uh, I don't know, maybe go to college. He was like, there ain't no way. There's no way you go to college with your grades like this, bro. It's impossible. And so 
he was like, listen, if you really want to do this at the next level, like I can help you, but you have to be committed because right now your goals aren't aligning with your work ethic. You're just, you know, far in the wind. It's impossible. You're not going to be able to go to college. So I, at that point, that was probably my sophomore, junior year. So I went from not placing in the state as a sophomore to being a state runner-up as a junior, state champion as a senior. And, and then obviously really improving my grades, my mindset, like going and taking the SATs, and like doing like a bunch of little stuff just to try to become more responsible and more accountable for my own career. And so those two guys, my high school coach, Rick Koss, and then also my best friend, he was best man at my wedding. We spent a ton of time together. We see each other all the time. He's still back here in Jersey. This guy named Vince Jones. Um, so he was my guy too. So those were the two biggest influences for me when I was so in high did you just amp up training then right after that and looked at wrestling completely yeah, different? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. I think I did. I did. I, I amplified my training relative to where I was at that time, right? Being a high school student and trying to, you know, be, compete at the next level or compete at the highest level, trying to figure out, okay, can I be a state place winner? Can I be ranked in the state? Can I be a state champion? And so relative to what I was doing, yes, I was one of the hardest workers in the room because I wasn't like skilled. I didn't have the pedigree to be a great athlete. Like there was no lineage or tradition in my family or my high school. No one in my family wrestled. My dad didn't compete. My, neither of my parents even played organized sports growing up. They both grew up in the city. My dad was from Philly. My mom was from Camden, New Jersey. So like they just, like it was city life. Like no one wrestled, no one really competed. They just grew up and my dad loved sports because he grew up in Philly. He was a big Eagles fan, Flyers fan, Phillies fan. So he just naturally like pushed sports in our household. This will happen. I was a pretty good wrestler. Um, so when it came time to like prepare for what it was going to be like to start to change my life, yes, I think the work amplified itself. But it was also like a, a lot of be, being successful is not only saying yes to stuff, being like doing more, but it's also doing less, like saying no to right. a lot of stuff, making sacrifices, like avoiding the distractions you know at that point you're starting to get introduced to girls and drugs and alcohol and so like all of those things just kind of like staying away from my i was a good kid growing up my parents you know let me know like what was necessary to be successful so it was kind of easy for me to to stay away from those things but yeah i definitely amplified my work ethic and my output a little bit at that time so when did you realize then that you had this talent and the potential to become an, an Olympian, because a lot of people experience what what you did, yeah. but many many more people aren't Olympic athletes and definitely not gold medalists. Yeah, probably. I didn't really believe I could be an Olympian, so I was on the brink of being an Olympian. Like I was twenty three, like twenty two, twenty three years old. Uh, I, I never had that story. It wasn't my story. You know, you see a bunch of people like I knew from the time I was six years old, I was sitting on my grandma's couch watching the Olympics, and, you know, running around with the flag. That wasn't me. I didn't have that dream. I just was like watching Olympics. Like, cool. I never, that was it. It was never like, maybe I could be there. Cause I didn't even watch wrestling. The most popular sports were, I remember, you know, the dream team, Dominique Mociano and Dominique Dolls and all of those young ladies from the gymnastics team back in 96. I remember Michael Johnson you know, Marion Jones and all those amazing competitors. But track and field, basketball, and gymnastics were kind of the only sports we watched at the Olympics. And wrestling didn't really exist. This was before Twitter, before, you know, social media, before flow wrestling, before YouTube. You couldn't just follow your favorite athletes online. So unless you were subscribed to, like, a wrestling magazine when I was a kid, you just didn't see it. So 
the only time I would ever see wrestling was at the NCAA championship. It was only on ESPN one weekend out of the entire year. So when I was coming up, that was never my dream. When I got to college, I started to become successful. I won two NCAA championships. My college coach was like, you are pretty good at this. And I've watched a lot of guys for a long time. Kenny Monday, Kevin Jackson, the champions before you, African-Americans specifically. And you're cut from their same cloth. Like, I think you can do this at a really high level. And so that was the first point where I was like, okay, I'm winning. Now I'm the best in the country. I've won two NCAA championships in a row. Let me take my skill set, my talents to the next level and see what I can do. And I made the world team my first year, like two months after my senior year of college. And I won a world championship four months later. Then the Olympics were the following year. And I was an Olympic champion. And so like, it was, it was just kind of like a progression. There was never like this aha moment where I'm like, damn, I'm really good now. It was more just like consistent effort over time, just like continue to chop away, get better, spending summers at, in Nebraska and Lincoln training, lifting harder, believing more, going to more events, taking L's, taking lumps, and then coming back and making improvements, refining and getting better. But it was it was a long process. Like it wasn't easy road for me. Would you say that you put in more work than your peers at that time? It depends. It depends. I would, I, I, it's hard, right? It's hard to measure talent. Like it's, it's not really, you can't quantify it. Or effort though, like practice. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to be the hardest worker in the room every, every single time. Like I, anyone who's trained with me know that I'm going to, I just grind. That's just who I am. Cause it's worked. It's worked. Yeah. So I was never really like talented. So I was, I don't really take a ton of responsibility for my success all i ever had to do was work hard and be disciplined that was it work hard be disciplined and things continue to ebb and flow and work out for me so yes when i'm in the wrestling room or i'm in the weight room anything i'm just a competitor at heart my wife and i our first date we went to dave and buster's and basically the whole time she's holding my jacket while i went around <laughs> to all these machines as many tickets yeah. as possible uh, it's it's just ingrained in me it's who i am everything i do i want to win and it just happens in particular that wrestling is my craft and my trade by choice so if i'm competitive in the small things of course i'm going to be competitive in the biggest thing and the most important thing to me so yeah it was every day that i can that i compete that i train that i practice that i have an opportunity to give effort yeah i'm always giving 100 percent. always i never i never cheat I never cheat. That's one thing I can always say about myself confidently. I never cheated. I always did it the, the right way and I always did it the hard way. When you were in in high school, was there a loss that you learned from the most or maybe in college? Yeah, it's particularly in high school. I lost in the state finals my junior year, um, which funny story in a nutshell. Basically, the guy I lost to my junior year high school in the state finals ended up being Olympic teammates with me 10 years later in Rio, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so I lost in double overtime my junior year with like three seconds left on the clock. It was basically like equivalent to a buzzer beater in basketball. Um, and so I got beat and I was bummed. I was crying, hiding under the bleachers. And it was just, it was a rough night for me. But it kind of propelled me because I came back that following year and I was a state champion. So like all that summer between that state runner-up finish and then that state championship was just a ton of perspective, listening, humility, refinement, hard work, grind, and uh, 
and it worked out. It worked out the next year. I won. When you were in high school, is that when you recognized your talent for the double leg takedown, or is that later? Um, yeah, probably college. Like I always had a good double, but it was it wasn't mine. You know what I mean? Like it, it was not. It wasn't my own. So. At that time in high school, I was still trying to like play with a bunch of other wrestlers' best stuff. So like I would look at my favorite wrestlers like, okay, John Smith's got a nice little single, I'm gonna do that. This guy Jordan Oliver, he's got a nice slide by, I'm gonna do that. But I hadn't like captured anything. I had no identity as a wrestler. I hadn't made my own style in particular. So college is when I started to say, okay, this is mine. I'm gonna own it, and I'm gonna wrestle with this every single matchup. I'm gonna try to. Continue to compound upon it until college. Everything was just kind of like trial and error, trial and error, trying a bunch of different stuff, figuring it out, seeing what I like, scrapping what I did, losing, like figuring out what works, coming back to the table with it. Nah, I don't like that. That one didn't work, or it wasn't effective against this guy. Or I can't keep up this pressure for an entire six minutes. So like just a lot of just like experimentation for like a lot of years. And when I got to college, I started getting big and strong. So like. My senior year of high school, I was a 135-pounder. and my senior year of college, I was a 165-pounder. You really don't see that type of jump in weight classes, for, uh, a, a particularly a college athlete. I was young. I was a late bloomer, graduated from high school when I was 17. And then when I got to college, I wrestled four different weight classes. So I continued to like progress and get bigger. So not only was my technique getting better, but like physically, I was just developing and becoming a man. Um, so it, And it took a long time for that to happen to me. So... It's like, because I was so small growing up, I had to develop the intangibles, the grit, the mental toughness, the determination. So now when I get to college, I'm at a high-level wrestling program. I got amazing training partners who are the best from all over the country. And now I have all these muscles. I'm right, like I'm, I'm jacked up. I'm like a beast now. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm winning matches. It was, it was like a perfect um, storm for me. It's the perfect scenario. So it worked out well. Now, do you remember a defining win? I know I talked about losses, but what was the what was the win aside from the the Olympics? I want to get there and spend some more time there. But but prior to that, was there something that stands out to you? A win, man. I don't know. Like I think there were a lot of different things that were meaningful to me, particularly in high school. I'd probably say winning that state championship my senior year. It's like that was my last shot at it. You know, I talk about this all the time. I was talking to some high school wrestlers the other day. They were like, man, winning the Olympics must be pretty cool. And I'm like, yes, it's cool. But it's, it's different. When, you, when you're really committing to doing something, it's business-like when you get to the next level. Right? Like, I know what I'm putting in. I've spent my full life committed to being the best at this. But when you're in high school, everyone can identify with high school athletics because most people do it. You know, not everyone can compete at the Division One level or even fewer at the Olympic level. But... Everyone, almost everyone, 90% of American adults have at once competed at the high school level. So from the time I first started wrestling as a six-year-old, strapped up my shoes and put my headgear on for the first time, I was pursuing being a high school state champ. I wanted to have my name in the paper. I wanted to be on the varsity team. I wanted to have that varsity jacket, you know, with my big uh, varsity letter on the back. So that was really important to me at that time when I was a young man. And so winning that state championship as a senior really kind of solidified my place where I felt it was the first time I had ever put a goal in front of me and actually attained it. Everything else was just, I was just living life 
on the fly and just rolling with the punches. It was the first time I ever set a goal and matched it, gave the effort necessary, felt like I deserved to win. And then when I moved forward from there, I felt, I felt good about my future. That's awesome. And then from, uh, from that point, obviously you had a fantastic college career and let's fast forward to when you found out you were going to make the Olympic team or when that happened, like what were your, what feeling was that? Like before you even competed, it was, it was, it was sweet, bro. Like it was, it was more sweet to see the people's reaction around me. You know, like my parents were like, we watched the Olympics our whole lives. And like my son's wrestling here. Like my son's in the Olympics. It was so special. Like my hometown had banners all over the city. Uh, it was it was so cool, bro. Um, and the world was watching. So it was, it was truly an exciting time for me because it was a culmination of a lifetime worth of effort. Like I started wrestling at six. I won the Olympics at 24. So 18 years of competition, getting beat up, losing. And I just went from, you know, six, seven years before, it wasn't even the best in the state. You know, I tell people this all the time. Like, I told you about my best buddy who went to Nebraska a year before me. I wasn't even the best kid, the best wrestler on my street, you know, let alone in the state. I wasn't the best wrestler on my freaking street growing up. And somehow I managed to become the best wrestler in the world. Uh, so it was, it was really cool because... I started to recognize the magnitude of what it was that I was going to accomplish or on the brink of accomplishing. I didn't know if I could win, but I knew I was prepared to win. I was going to do everything necessary to put myself in a position to be victorious. And the people around me were really excited. You could see the difference. Like being an NCAA champ is cool. Being a world champ is cool. But there's just so much surrounding the Olympics that gets the people excited. Um, particularly the American people. It's, it's just a very spirited event. And I think it brings out the best in everyone. So it was a really exciting time. Yeah, and the point that you brought up, that you weren't really groomed to be an Olympian. It was just these incremental steps. And you compare that to what I would vision as like a professional ice skater or an, or an Olympian ice skater, right? When they're three years old, you see pictures of them in ice skates. Like that wasn't you at all. You were just like, I'm going to win at this level and then I'm going to compete at the next level and just keep going. Yeah, it was, that's exactly how it kind of progressed, bro. Like it was just kind of just continue to get better. Like every level I was just kind of like, Oh, this is cool. Like when I was a kid, I just wanted to win trophies just to like, you know, put on my fireplace at home and like get my parents excited. Then I got to high school. I wanted to, you know, win because I wanted to be on the varsity team. And then we wanted girls to come to our varsity matches, right? So, like, when the girls are in the stands, they're like, you got to win today. And then I got further in my high school career, and I'm like, well, man, maybe I can earn a scholarship. Like, if I work hard enough, win enough, I could go to college for free. Then I got to college, and I was, oh, maybe I can be the best in the country. Kind of reset the record books here in Nebraska. And so it's my motivation and inspiration has continuously changed and shifted and evolved over the years. Um, but it was a fun time, like, it's it's always been really fun and but it's it's been really hard so like even when i look back and people are like hey would you go back to this time period i'm like well i know what i had to do to achieve that at that time so and honestly no because it was so hard like i just remember days where you know you you have to question yourself every day if you're not questioning why you're doing this and you're not working hard enough uh, so like there were some days where we just sit in our dorm rooms after running an incline 
doing sprints or having a conditioning workout or long wrestling workout, and you're just like, man, is this worth it? Is this worth all of the sacrifices, all the weight cutting, all the time away from family, all the you know weeks on the road? And I mean, the answer to me has always been yes, and it's still yes. And someday I'm sure I'll come to a point where either my body fails or the answer will be no, but that day hasn't come for yeah. me. And so, you know, even though I'm considered old in the sport of wrestling, I still love it and I'm still willing to work. I, that's what I ask myself. Are you willing to work? Not to, everyone wants to win. Right? Everyone wants to win. If you ask anyone, hey, do you want to win? Again, of course. I think a lot of guys leave the sport or leave sports, period, before their body starts to break down because the mind fatigues way before the body. So mentally, you have to be able to endure all of the rigorous activity that's going to be necessary to compete at a high level. Sure, you can stay in it and like squander, like damage your legacy because you don't really want to work as hard, but you still kind of want to be in it. You see it in a lot of other sports where there are guaranteed contracts where these guys are making a lot of money. So like in this sport, you don't make a lot of money. So if you're doing it for a long time, it's probably just for the honor and the pride of it because I could go make more money elsewhere and it would be a lot easier right. on my body. Um, so... I just, I just love the sport, and yeah, that's that's kind of my. Do you re- recall what your parents said to you after you won the gold? Um, you know, it was just a sense of pride. I remember running up in the stands and hugging my mom immediately after winning the gold medal, which was a really special moment for me. That's that's kind of my my view of the Olympics is when you finally get your hand raised and you run with the flag and you're relieved and you can kind of I just remember running up into the stands looking for my mom and it was just such a like a a wild moment to me because you know there's just so much going on around you everyone's so excited you're getting a bunch of pats on the back people are telling you you know how cool of an experience that was that was that was special that was special that's something I'll always remember is running up in the stands like there were people like grabbing me to take selfies with me and like it was it was insane, bro. It was insane. I felt like a rock star. Um, it was it was a cool moment. That's I I can't imagine that. And I saw some footage of you jumping through the stands, and it looked it just looked incredible. That feeling that you yeah, had to have. Funny. Yeah, that's funny. great. Uh, did funny. did you do anything after that to celebrate? Did you have a reprieve of training, or did you just go right back at it? Yeah, you know, a little bit. The hardest is like. Again, it's the climber mentality. As soon as you hop right. off the podium, it's like, okay, you can do it again. Yeah. You know, you know there's another world championship next year and another Olympics four years from now. So, like, it never stops. You kind of let your hair down for a little bit. You know, you're excited. You, you celebrate the fruits of your labor. So you make money, you gain a following, and people want to see you. They want to be around you. They want to spend time with you. And so you have to... Your, your perspective of the world starts to shift for multiple reasons, right? And you become jaded a little bit because now you're like, okay, well, who really are my friends? Who wants to be around me because of the purity of you know my spirit, who I am, who just wants to be around me because I'm successful? And you know, you have to reevaluate your training. And like, there's so many things that happen once you experience that level of success where it's, it's kind of tricky. It's tricky to stay focused after, after you actually win it. I'm like, Trying to have it all sometimes is better than actually having it. Because once you get it and you get to it, now you're like, you're different. You're different. Like as soon as I hopped off that stage with that metal on my neck, I was different. 
and my life was different and it, and it was going to always be different. How people regarded me, how they perceived me, the way they announced me, how they, you know, interacted with me. It was just a much, much different life that I, that I had from that point on. Um, so there were some adjustments that I had to make socially to try to figure out how to navigate the world after winning that Olympic gold medal. It was good. You know, I would almost rather, I almost always rather have success that would be character building than failure to be character building. Because I, I still worked hard in the process and I feel like I earned that gold medal. Um, but along with responsibility, um, you know, comes, it's, it becomes a heavy burden that you have to wear because there's, a, there's so many expectations of you from that point forward. So, you know, I went from freaking broke college student to now like, the breadwinner in my family to like the most popular, most famous and most financially successful person that really anyone in my circle had known. So it was just, it was a very like different, different experience. Yeah. From that no, that's incredible. On. You should be super proud of yourself. And I, I mean, the title of this podcast is not almost there for those very s- similar reasons, not on the <laughs> Olympian side, but on the business and entrepreneur side that I found that out the hard way yeah, too, sure. just to like, there's, there's an analogy that, uh, not an analogy, there's something that happened to me when I was a kid when I was swimming in this lake and I thought I was getting to this like grass island to take a, a break. And then when I got out there, the the grass island wasn't grass. It was weeds growing from underneath the water. So I thought oh, I could no. rest there and turn back. And it turns out I couldn't. So I turned back and I almost drowned because I thought I thought that was like a place. So I always use that as an analogy in life because you think you think there's a destination, but it's never there. You're never there there. You know, there's always something else. So fast forward a decade later, I know that you had just competed in, in the Olympic trials. What did you learn from that experience? What did I learn? I would say... The margin of victory is very small. You have to seize the moment in the moment. I think there are a lot of times in life where we're like, I'll get another chance at this. Like, It'll come again. Like, Don't worry about it. The the match is going to happen. It's going to ebb and flow. I'm going to get back to this position again. I'm going to be able to win it this time where I feel more comfortable with it. Sometimes... And this is one of the things that we've, we've really been working on. Sometimes the obstacle is the way, right? So just because something is hard doesn't mean it's wrong. I think that it, particularly in wrestling, like when you get to a position that's really difficult to get through, you're like, this can't be right. I got to get out of here. I'm uncomfortable. But sometimes it is right. The technique is right. But the resistance is strong from the opposition. But it it's okay. You just have to build through it and you have to break down this barrier to get to the other side. And if you can do that, not only will you score the points, but you'll become, you'll become more confident. You'll snatch, snatch the momentum. And then also, you know, the psychological battle that is going to play on your opponent, because now he gave you his best effort and he still lost. So I think that that's one of the things that I had to learn was sometimes the obstacles away, the hard way, is sometimes the right way, oftentimes the right way. And then lastly is some things in life you never get a chance to do again. I'm always confident that my best days are ahead of me. I always try to be optimistic and hopeful. I always cling to hope rather than despair, right? I'm like, oh, my mm-hmm. life stinks. I'm not going to be able to do anything cool again. But I know that there's some things that you, you lose an opportunity to do. 
there's some things that whether it was the timing was wrong or you squandered the opportunity or you sat on something for too long and it's gone. And so you have to be a very vulnerable and transparent individual to be able to reflect and deal with that and still continue to move forward with enthusiasm. Um, and so I think that I try to take lives punches as much as I can with the same level of optimism because I've got a lot of little ones at home. And my son, he's seven years old. He's old enough to watch and kind of understand. Like, man, daddy got beat. You know, this is me and we're not going to Tokyo. Um, and so there's like a lot of things that I have to deal with. I have to understanding. I have to provide for my family. I can't really dwell in this dark place for a long time because I've got to kind of snap back instantly to being a husband and being a father. But also, you know, just realizing that some things just weren't meant for you. Like, and, and that's okay. It really just depends on who you are and how mentally resilient you are to get through this tough time and then move on with optimism. But I, I'm never broken by whatever life throws at me. I know that I can continue to kind of move forward and adjust, pivot, be flexible because I've done a lot of good stuff, but because I've come from, not necessarily at the bottom, but I come from a very honest upbringing where, you know, modesty was kind of the way that we were developed, it's much easier to kind of understand that I've lost so many times in my career that no loss can necessarily break me. It hurts, it stings, obviously. I wish I would have won. I would love to be in Tokyo. I think I could made a, a, another run at a gold medal but you know it wasn't in the cards for me and so you know, what do you do you cry or you move on or I mean you could do both but you know as long as it ends with moving on that's important for me. so how did you move on from that or when like was it the next day you woke up and you're like screw this I'm going to make the next Olympics and went back at it or how do you recover yeah but I, I that's that was always the goal, right? So it didn't really deter me, like, I'm going to work even harder because I always work my hardest. So there's never, like, work. can you do more? It was like, what should, I've given You're already maxed have. out, yeah. I've got, I'm maxed, yeah. bro. I'm yeah. maxed. 100%. I can't give any more. So, you know, I get it, right? You start to, you reflect and you start to reevaluate and break down the dynamics of your situation do I need a new training situation? Do I need a new training partner, new coaches, uh, new lifting strategy, new plan, new structure? Um, and all those things are, are good to kind of question, reevaluate, but um, I gave my best. So at the day after, I'm just like, this guy, I just got beat. I just got beat. I think oftentimes we, ha- we need an excuse as like a coping mechanism. Right. Like here's why this happened. Here's why you got beat cling to this so you can move forward without, you know, feeling bad about yourself. But sometimes you just, you just get someone's better than you on that day, yeah, right? They yeah. may not be better than you, period, but they might just be better than you on that day. Or, you know, someone was more qualified than you and they got the job and you didn't and you're like, well, what the heck? You know, you try to like discredit all the things that that person has done and you try to say, well, they just didn't like me, right? Or, you know, they were discriminatory or like all these different things. Like, bro, that person was better than you. <laughs> yeah. Get over it. You got to move on. <laughs> so, like, that's, that's just, like, I'm a very, like, honest person when it comes to, like, self-reflection. It's, like, it's some, it is what it is. Sometimes it's for you. Sometimes it's not. And if it's not, then you just Yeah, and the, the 
intricacy of wrestling, especially, you just watch it and you're like, one step in one direction can change. And that doesn't mean someone's better. It's just like you yeah. took a step. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Yeah, because you could wrestle the same person 10 times and every match would be different. Every score would be different. The dynamics of every match would be different. So it's it's really tricky that way. It's very tricky. You know, it's like baseball. You play a doubleheader. One team wins 10-1 and the next team <laughs> yeah. wins 10-1. Game. So it, it's, that's just competitive sports. Um, it just sucks that you only get a chance to do it once every four years. That's the hardest part about it. So now that you're you're commentating, is there any insights that you're picking up from doing that and observing others? Yeah, you know what? One thing that I've noticed is that it, it keeps you from being bitter. Because when you're watching, you're like, damn, I should be here. I could have beat that guy. I could have won that. You know, like, so, like, you have to really, like, kind of read the room and, like, take a, a good assessment of your heart. And the best thing for me has been to, like, celebrate my teammates and my opponents. Because at the end of the day, like, I've represented Team USA for a decade straight. So the U.S. wrestling team is, I still consider my team, I still consider myself as a leader. Wasn't on the team this year, but I'm still a big proponent of their success and a reason for why they've arrived at this level of success um, because of my sustained excellence in this sport. So I wanted to do multiple things. One is I want to always assess my own heart. So for me to celebrate other people, it makes me feel better about my current situation. Two, people are going to be watching me. Like, how's JB going to react here? I bet he wishes he was there. This must be really hard for you. Um, and so I want to make sure it's like, hey, no, I'm fine. I'm doing well. And anyone else who goes through a difficult time and gets beat, I want you to also do well by watching the way that I am interacting with the world here. Um, and then lastly, like I think it was just, it was fun. I, I love wrestling. I love wrestling, period. So it's like, you can say no and just kind of hide under a rock for a week while wrestling goes on and you just pop up like, okay, what happened? Or, you know, you can face it head on and, you know, enjoy the sport that you've done for 20 some years. Uh, so I loved calling the matches. I love talking about the matches. There's nothing in the world that I know more about than wrestling. And it was a lot of fun. I had a really good time. That's great. Yeah, no, you, you did a great job and I, I can imagine, uh, that's that struggle. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. I tried to stay neutral all the time. The so I'm super curious on what a typical day is like for you today, knowing that you have a growing family, you have three children, one on the way yeah. pretty soon. Congratulations on that and being a father. How did how do you I guess balance that or was it a, what's a day look like for Jordan Burroughs with balancing a family and training? You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're crazy, bro. Wow. Every time we have another kid, we're like, what are we doing? Why? Why did we do this? Um, no, honestly, it's it's fun. I try to include my family as much as possible. So, like, we had practice this morning at 10 a.m. So, like, today for me, I woke up at 7.30, and I had, like, a, a small workout that we call, like, a priming. So, like, basically getting you ready for the day. So, it's, like, rolling out, stretching, going through, like, a series of movements. That's at 7.30, I come back at 8, have like a small breakfast. We get the kids up like 8.30, get them dressed. We head to the wrestling room like 9.30. So everyone comes to the practice, the whole fam. Um, so they just play on the wrestling mats. The kids are always in the wrestling. They just grow up around wrestling. Mm-hmm. So they're, 
you know, kicking the soccer balls around, doing rope climbs, running around, messing with the guys while, you know, I'm engaged and I'm going through my practice. So practice today was about two hours, so like 10 to, 10 to noon. Um, solid practice this morning. Hard, strenuous work to kind of complete the week. And then we went, did some grocery shopping afterwards, came back here. Now we've got, you know, some people from Restoration Hardware putting a bed together in, our, in the kids' room. And we'll probably go to the pool. We've got, now we're living in the city, we got this beautiful building. We've got pools on the rooftop of our building, which are really cool. Um, so we'll probably go do some swimming this evening. But it's it's good, man. Like typically for me, I, I practice once a day and I train in the morning. So like a Monday for me, um, now that the kids are out of school, typically I'll, I'll train in the morning, like six, seven, I'll get in the weight room, do a lift and then I'll come back, I'll have breakfast with the kid, we'll go hang out at the pool, or we'll go for a walk, or we'll do something fun. Um, go to a museum or do something of that nature around like 11, noon, I'll come back, we'll have lunch together, and then I'll head to practice at 3.30. And then after practice, 3.30, we'll go to like 5.30, come back, we'll either get dinner, order dinner, or something we'll cook, and then we'll kind of hang out at the crib, watch a movie, spend some time with one another. And uh, just lay low and relax. Now that my family's close, we see my parents a couple times a week, which has been nice too. But yeah, yeah. We're, just, we're trying to get settled in. It's, it's much different here. Like now, the kids were we we had to find new everything, new schools, new routes, new like you know just new rhythms to, to how we operate here. It was so much different than Lincoln. Um, but yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah, it sounds like it's integrated really nicely. It's not. Typical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So the kids do a really good job. And that's the one thing I love, too, about what I do. It's like there are times where I spend, you know, 10 days to two weeks on the road away from the family. But I've been there for the birth of all my kids. And I've been there for all their special milestones. And I get – I don't have to go to work 9 to 5. Like we have a very unique um, work schedule. So I'm typically in the – I train for maybe four hours a day, so like two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, late afternoon, but I'm always there. I, can, I take my kids to school every day. You know, I'm there for them when they have lunch. I'm either there to pick them up or I'm there to have dinner with them, put them in the bath and put them in bed. So that's what I kind of love about my schedule is I get to do what I love, be work hard and be deliberate in my training. Um, and it's still about balance. There's a lot of balance. There's times where the scales are tipped far to the wrestling side where you know, it's like, hey, low, like, I need to be focused. Or I need to be dialed in because, like, there are times where we go to the same tournament in the same city, and we get two hotel rooms, mm. you know, in the, in the same building. It's like, hey, you're gonna sleep here with the kids. And Dad needs his own room so I can get some rest for this event. Or there's times where you know I'm on the road for a long period of time. Or even like this past week down in Miami for, you know, the commentary for the Olympic Games. Like I was there for a week on my own. Brought a training partner down with me so I could practice in between shooting. Um, and so. It's, it's different. They're, we try to integrate as much as possible. Like, my kids have been pretty much everywhere. I, mean, I didn't leave the country for the first time until I was 20. And, like, all three of our kids have had passports before their first birthdays. Um, so, like, it's pretty special. Like, they get to do a, really, a whole lot of stuff with us. They've been all over the world, different countries, travel, train, met a lot of cool people. Um, so it's, it's really fun, the opportunities we get to afford them, you know, based upon my, my wrestling. So it's really fun. Yeah, it's cool. I... I try to tell my daughter, I'm like, I don't think I took a flight until I was close to 30. I was probably a little less than that, but it was in definitely my twenties. And 
yeah, they're flying all over the world. They have passports. It's it's nuts. And she's like, yeah, I want to go to Paris. I'm it's, like, it's what? <laughs> we, had to, we had to hold them up for their passport photo. Yeah, I would literally yeah. like hold them up. Let <laughs> them take their photo. It's crazy. So so now you're you're doing that. I I noticed that you have a partnership with Headspace. And also, yeah, yeah. Also, I want to talk about Headspace in a second, but Athletic Brewing, they're sponsoring the event you're going to be at next week with us uh, called Go. Oh, that's dope, bro. Just curious, how how do you find partners? What partners do you have? And what is that? What's that world look like for you? Yeah, for sure. So we get an opportunity to do a lot of a lot of what we make as Olympic athletes comes through sponsorships and endorsements. Heavily skewed. We don't make a ton from competing itself. A lot of what we make is is just based upon you know building a name, building a following, having a strong brand, and then being endorsed by companies and doing digital marketing campaigns, things of that nature. Social media has become huge, um, and so I've been able to you know kind of accrue a solid following for for an Olympian. And it's been great. So, like, number one, we just try to be authentic to who we are, like actually using products that you know, we would use at home, things that kind of stand true to, you know, what we believe, how we operate. So, you know, I don't drink alcohol, so it made sense to have a non-alcoholic beer, which, you know, when I was in college, I was a young man, I was a big, big beer drinker as I started to grow and get a little older, wanted to take care, better care of my body, had kids, wanted to have clear definitive lines in the household where we stood um, and so that was kind of one of those brands where I'm like man this aligns closely with how we operate what we believe but I know we have a lot of followers that are beer drinkers but are still health conscious where it's like kind of a way for you to get the best of both worlds if you're trying to make that transition out if you you know feel um, the need to do so so yeah it's been really cool and, and then Headspace you know just for me I'm a very reflective person so I like to spend time alone i like to meditate i like to do breathing exercises i like to do visualization spend time just thinking about where i am being at peace whether it's in prayer or just like time just relaxing that's been really helpful for me i think that it's been so prominent in the social spotlight because of all of the athletes now that are starting to talk about you know mental health from Biles to Naomi Osaka, Osaka to Kevin Love, to Kyrie Irving, like all these athletes are starting to, you know, say like, hey, like we struggle just because we're elite athletes doesn't mean you know it's not hard for us. We got a ton of pressure. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of good stuff, man. We've done some really cool campaigns. We've been like Calvin Klein. We've done some stuff with Pampers with the babies. We've done you know athletic brewing and a couple of like our major sponsors are like Bridgestone. Polo, Ralph Lauren, Asics. Like we've done a lot of really cool stuff um, in the past couple of years. It's fun. It's fun. You get to represent a great company, a reputable brand. You get to build your following. You get to kind of cross section between their following and your own. And, and you get free product, which is always cool too. Right? So it works. It works out. How much has spirituality played into your success? I know that. Obviously, meditation and mindfulness has been huge, just like you said. Honestly, like it's less about my success and more about the perspective heading into my success. And honestly, like it might be even less about my wrestling and more about avoiding distractions to 
maintain like engagement in my wrestling so I can stay focused. Like, so like being a faithful husband, being a good father, like avoiding scandal and, you know, just like unnecessarily, unnecessary, like public scrutiny, like all those things. I'm like, because of my faith, I'm able to operate with character and integrity and everything. Right? Um, so like, you don't have to worry about me being like on the news or like in some sort of like crazy TMZ like article because because of my faith, the way that I operate is always dialed in. The way that I treat the people around me is always on point. And so that's my view. So a little less probably about how I I compete and more so of why I'm able to compete at such a high level because I've been able to just avoid distractions because I'm always focused. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure your sponsors like that too. They don't have to take big insurance policies out on, on you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, hey, it's 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 a tough time. Listen, if you say the wrong thing at this point in time, you, you're gonna be yeah. in trouble. So, sure that uh, I'm always I'm always on. But my wife does a good job too of making sure that I'm in the right place at the right time. Yeah, no, I I know it. And you're you're a foodie too, right? Big food, love food. What's your uh, what's your go to staples now? I would say. I'm a big seafood guy. I'm an East Coast guy, so I'm a big seafood guy. So I do a lot of fish, oysters, lobster, shrimp, all that stuff. And pretty much any seafood I'm good with. I like sushi. I had some sushi today, some sashimi and nigiri. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I like everything, bro. Like, there's not a single thing that I don't like. I Whenever I go to on a trip to a big city, I go, I'm a Yelper, I'm a big time Yelper. I don't miss on Yelp. Whenever people are with me, I'm in a large group, they know like I'm the guy, yo, ask JB, he knows the best spots in the city. So we'll pick out, I'll pick out like four or five spots for every meal in every city. So if you're in like Dallas, Chicago, LA, you know, New York City, Philly, I got three breakfast spots, I got three coffee shops, three lunch places, three dinner spots, three dessert, ice cream, donuts, pie, whatever you need, I got you, come see me. Uh, so I'm a big time foodie. So now being here in Philly has been great for us because we've been eating in like a different restaurant every week, uh, and it's been it's been really fun because there's so much good food here. Uh, and so, but then I don't eat red meat. So one of the staples of Philly is a cheesesteak, right. right? And I haven't even I don't haven't had a cheesesteak because I don't eat red meat. So, but Philly pretzels are also another staple here. So I have had a lot of pretzels since I've been here. No steaks. Yeah, the pretzels. first time I was there, they're like, "You want it with Wiz?" And I'm like, "Cheese Wiz? <laughs> like, what's Wiz?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get a good cheese Wiz, fried onions, maybe like some salt. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my my last uh, my last question is, what's next? You're training for for the Olympics, right? You're. Yeah, yeah, sure. The Olympics are still three years away. They're in Paris. There's a world championship coming up in October. So, so we have a world team trials competition that I'm preparing for in Lincoln, Nebraska, September 11th to 12th. So we're about a month out now, and I've been training hard daily getting ready for this event. And the world championships will be in Oslo, Norway in October. That's in the immediate future. And then another world championship every year, 2023, and the Paris Olympics in 24. And... Honestly, just like trying to do as much as possible to figure out what's next. I'm 33. I'll be 36 in uh, in Paris. So that's probably a hard pause for me from a wrestling perspective. And then I'll start to figure out what the next thing is for us, what the next phase, the next season of life. That's kind of why I'm dabbling in things like commentary for the Olympic Games. 
trying to, you know, create small businesses and get into entrepreneurship. So I want to have ownership of something. Like I made a lot of companies, a lot of money, but they're still their companies. Right. right? They're not the, they don't have the boroughs names. I can't pass this along to my kids, right? I've made money, but I, I don't have ownership. So like for us to create something through lineage, that that's what legacy means to me. I want something that I've created that we can pass along that can represent the values of our family, all the hard work that I've put in. It's like tangible, touching. And so that's that's the goal as we continue to move forward and progress is figuring out what's next, moving into this new season of life, trying to finish out my career on my own terms, which is on top of the podium. I'm doing what I love and then also, you know, bringing my family and the people in my circle with me as we go through this process and try to figure out how to create something long lasting. I can't pass down my my wrestling abilities to my kids. Like I can teach them the sport, you know, but ultimately that journey is their own to figure out. So I'll do my best to see what's next, what else I love, uh, what else I'm into. Until then, just working hard daily. Nice. Have, have you given more serious thought into a performance or training center combining a meditation mindset with hardcore training or anything like that? I heard you talking about that. on another yeah, for, sure. for sure. That's the goal. We're trying to figure out a location. I like the East Coast because it's my family's here and the wrestling culture is strong here, but it's 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 cold in the wintertime. No one wants to be here in the wintertime. Right. You know, all the best MMA gyms and the best performance centers are in Florida and California San Diego, and yeah. Texas. Like San Diego, right? So everyone wants to be in these nice places. We're trying to figure out where, but yes, I would love to have an academy that was holistic training. So we're developing individuals based on you know character and principles, and then also refining them in sports, but teaching them about life and how to navigate as they move forward, compete um, at a high level too. So creating great men and great women, but also great competitors in the process as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that soon. We're we're actually in the process. We're starting a youth wrestling club here in the city of Philadelphia. Um, that's great that'll be pretty cool and so it's going to be a lot of fun my kids are going to be like our first two enrolled <laughs> and so it, it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to try to start to learn how to build structure a systematic approach to development in sports and athletics and then also learning how to engage with parents how to balance sheets how to be a leader and cut checks for individuals who work on anything like just trying to figure out things that you know, as athletes, we never really had to do. Like, all we do is just, like, show up and, like, kick butt and go home. Yeah. And so it's it's such a new yeah. experience. Like, being a leader is more than just giving a speech at the end of practice and getting people fired up about the future. It's it's really a whole lot of work. So I just trying to figure out how to be a real leader. I just figured it out. I, I know your game plan. You're going to build the Gracie clan to 30 kids that Helio and Carlos fathered, and you're going to – Create yeah. your army of wrestler warriors. That's your game plan. Yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. I'm excited about it. I love kids because they're really impressionable, and you can kind of still balance the fun within it, right? When you get older, like everyone wants to win. Right. It's all about winning, win, 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 right. win, win. And I'm like, listen, kids are so pure. They just want to have a good time. So if you can teach them to have fun while getting better in the process, they don't even know it. Like that's how you create special athletes where you just you pursue the fun 
and you become creative in the process, and that's that's a really special athlete. So we're trying to do that. Nice, yeah. Piggybacking on that last comment, I'm reading uh, Hicks and Gracie's book, Breathe. I don't know if you saw that. It just, okay, just uh, recently okay. came out, and I would, it's, it's super fascinating because they literally grew up like that. They had, they had 30, 30 brothers uh, and were just basically created this like warrior clan to compete and at family parties, they would roll out the canvas and just go at it. I've, you know, since, yeah, since they were kids, but it was, uh, it was super, uh, super fascinating how the, the lessons that Helio taught Hickson. And one of them was, um, when he would go to go to compete, he would say to him something like, if you lose, I'll give you two gifts. If you win, I'll give you one at that point in time of just thinking about winning, he wanted him to have fun to compete, to know that if he had fun, he would keep going back and wanting to, to, to do it. And that's how one of the, one of the big things why he became such a, such a world champion in uh, jujitsu is that he, at an early age, he learned to have fun doing it. So I thought that was a really good lesson. That's cool, man. I love that. I love that. That's, that's the, every parent's dilemma is trying to figure out how to, Make hard stuff fun. Yep. If you can make hard stuff fun, chores, grades, sports, being nice to your siblings, yep. you know, if you can make the hard stuff fun, then you got to figure it out. That's everyone's job as a parent. Awesome. Hey, Jordan, thank you for your time. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person next week at Go. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. But have fun training until then, and and uh, we'll see you soon. Big thanks to Jordan and for taking the time out of his busy day to talk with me. He literally was in the middle of moving. I think he was laying against a wall on his laptop having the conversation. Well, probably pretty close to him. There's bunk beds being put together. But I truly appreciate it because you made time uh, in between practice and that to have a, a quick conversation. And I'm looking forward to seeing you, Jordan, in a week. And I know that the audience will get a lot out of that conversation. My biggest takeaway is how Jordan doesn't let in negativity. As he said for the Olympics this year, he could have been bitter or angry when he wasn't on the Olympic team. But instead, he cheered on his colleagues and used what he learned from his qualifier loss to sharpen his skills and be more prepared to dominate Paris in 2024. I have so many more questions to ask Jordan next weekend, but I do want to hear from you. Do you have any questions that you'd like me to ask Jordan? I'll be live streaming our fireside chat on Facebook, and I will post the video on my YouTube channel after. So comment on this episode with your questions, and you could hear your question being asked live. Thank you so much, Not Almost There family, for listening, and make sure you subscribe to get notified of all the latest episodes, and remember... You, me, we are not almost there.